Welcome to Seasons of Resilience. This podcast is for anyone who goes through challenges, difficulties, and loss, but recognizes that life is lived in seasons. We'll engage in comfortable and uncomfortable conversations. We'll share about the good and bad, the ups and downs, just how life is. To everything, there is a season and a time for every emotion that is experienced. Enjoy these stories of resilience. Today, we have a very special guest. This is Jessica Ann Best, mezzo-soprano and a voice professor at Nazareth College. And Jess is my sister-in-law. So we have an even closer connection. So Jess, I would love it if you could um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you both. I'm so excited that I can be here. Um, As Kim said, I'm a mezzo-soprano, so that means that I am an opera singer. I've studied opera, and I have sung opera nationally and internationally, um, and I teach voice as well. I also do jazz and musical theater singing and recital singing as well, and I stage direct and music direct. So um, I'm doing, as many musicians do, many, many different things, and I'm also a big dork. (laughs) I love to research. So, yeah. And I I bet with with your job and with your um, being a professor, there comes a lot of research in your day to day. Yeah, it's it's probably in tune with whatever I'm working on at the time. So as you know, we've worked on some operas together where I would be researching a role, especially if it's a true story or based on a true story. And that's one of my favorite things. And today I just honestly got lost in books about Hildegard von Bingen because I'm super interested in her as a whole person and a musician. So that's so neat. <laughs> so it's probably never ending. You just learn about characters and the history and the time and that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And we, I mean, we are in a time in history right now that's so different than anything we've experienced. So we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, many of us have lost jobs or our jobs have shifted. So Jess, would you like to tell us about what that's been like for you? What's happened to you during this pandemic? So coming out of the, in February, when we first started to hear about the coronavirus before, before we knew technically that it reached the U.S., of course, we, we probably speculate that it's been here before February. Um, I was traveling all the time. I had taken a break from teaching and I was in, in the United States and then outside. I literally just came off of singing on a cruise ship. And I was in the beautiful Caribbean, and then I came back to Syracuse, and I did Candide, which is a beautiful opera by Bernstein, and then I did um, a jazz concert the week after that, and then I did Carmen, which was my final performance on February 29th, and that was in Binghamton. And I was supposed to have like two weeks off and then be in New York City, And of course, we know the rest is now history. (laughs) And since that time, um, so many, so many, I think the 
what is that? What do they call those words? Pivot? What is the, um, like the code word, you know, that's the, the key word that we've been saying. And so, so many pivots in my life. Um, at first, just, of course, for everybody, everything stopped. But for musicians, in particular, opera singers, which is still true, specifically in America, um, stop and then renegotiate how to do this art form until it's safe. And right now that means filming, but even so that means filming without people. And so that has been a lot of the things that I've learned. And then many of us, um, we have been unemployed and then taking on currently, you know, different styles of how do I, how can I sing and make some money here? But also what else can I do to survive because we are not able to return to work? And that's true for opera and for musical theater. As you know, Broadway is closed until further notice, right? And um, many, many industries of similar ilk. Uh, so that means um, I've been fortunate enough to return to teaching, which is exactly the way that we are doing this uh, Zoom call. We are teaching over Zoom. Um, because it's not safe to be teaching really in person yet. And, um, you know, it's it's a lot of that. It's just a lot of constant adjustment. And, and then saying, how do I continue on with art? I cannot even imagine all the emotional roller coaster that that, you know, that could be like all the different pivots that you've had to do with not only just one, you know, it seems like You've, I mean, it, we've been in this for uh, six months now, um, or seven, and um, you share so many different things that you've gone through, and I, I just cannot imagine, you know, all the feelings and emotions going through that. As a musician, and that, I mean, this is your, your life, you know. And I wonder how you've you've um, kept emotionally resilient and connected to others. Um, I know mo most. I mean, as a musician as well, I know a lot of what we do is is a team collaboration as well. So I wonder how you've been able to to do that, keep doing that. Ah, oh, so much of what you say is like um, it hits very deep. Because of the collaboration part, which is, I think what hurts the most is that I can't sing with my friends right now. Um, I've been listening to a lot of music, specifically like there are certain pieces that really hit me, like this Va Pensiero from Verdi's um, Nabucco, which is, it's a really resonant piece for people that are, that are mourning. And um, also like the Verdi Requiem keeps coming back in this pandemic and just hearing what normally these voices could do together and a choral, you know, uh, exclamation behind it and an orchestra behind it and what hundreds of groups, hundreds of people can do together on stage to bring forth meaning. And that's not happening right now. That is an incredible amount of grief. Um, but I can do small projects with a pianist, um, and I have been able to do that. And so that's been great. Um, I remember the first time that I was able to sing with a pianist, like within maybe six weeks after we were in lockdown, 
I cried, you know, like singing at a church. And it was, you know, being live streamed, but it was so emotional for me because I hadn't been able to work with one other musician at all. And I think that that's what we all miss. And that is where the grief is. Because as you know, you've probably been doing sessions through teletherapy and things like that. It's not the same thing as really being with that person, even though we know it's traveling, the same thing with teaching. So I think even six and a half, seven months later, you still feel this immense sense of I'm not present with the people that I love in the way that it's that I'm used to doing it. And yeah, I can adjust um, when I've been recording. There are moments where I've been doing exactly what we're doing now with headpieces in our ear. And I know Greg has done this with his one of his groups that he plays with. And you're just you're pretending that the other singers are singing the sextet with you or singing a duet with you. And I just I would just cry in the middle of the recording and have to do it like eight more times because I miss my friend or I could see them. And, and I, but I missed actually being in that moment and singing with them. Um, and the projects that I've done recently have been really great because it's been, yes, I've been able to do a one woman opera or do a lot of what I love. At least I'm collaborating with a pianist and maybe some people around me to make a production happen, but I'm still carrying it all by myself. So there's a whole grief in now I have to carry all this responsibility and wait and learn all these other new skills, which is fine. But I still feel so much intensity within that because I don't think we're really meant to do it alone. And that's what I always come back to. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that's what like hit me really deep in my emotional like chakra down here. So I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I I think. I asked that question because for someone that may not be in your shoes, may not be able to understand how painful that is. And I really wanted to honor that and hear from you, you know, why, why is such a big deal? It's so to speak, you know, it's more than just the singing. It's all that comes with it. It's it's, at all, all, you know, the people that, that is involved all the hard work that you put into it, or the re- all the research, all the love, you know. So, and two, uh, there are so many other people that, like you, are grieving and may not have a space to even talk about and may not even feel comfortable even talking about that. So I, that's why I really think it's important to have this type of conversation And one thing I was thinking about, too, is just how a live performance is not just comprised of the performer. (laughs) It's all about the audience and the energy in the room and the feedback from the faces that you see in the audience. Like, I mean, not, not only are you grieving performing with like-minded people and friends and working with an orchestra and a conductor and all of those things, but you're also grieving the interaction between the, between yourself as a performer and the listener on the other end, because now you're not seeing them. I mean, I don't, are you? I don't, you probably can't. That's got to be so hard. 
Yeah, the what you're talking about is like a beautiful exchange of energy, which you know as music therapists, I feel like we get to we re- we release we release this beautiful sound energy, but we're also releasing this like nonverbal exchange between the conductor and they're they're sending you like a shape with their hand and you're taking that in and then I'm going to interpret this next beat with that and then the audience is receiving like the transmission of those previous exchanges to them and the atmosphere is filling and absolutely the only thing that you kind of feel that with a little bit right now is if if you have people that are masked and safe in the room with you (laughs) right and if you're doing a live like Facebook or, or YouTube or Instagram broadcast, you can know that there are people receiving it, but you can't see them, like you said. Or maybe they're like typing in like, yay, loved that. Um, but it's certainly not the same. I love, I love singing to big halls and small places alike. Um, and I really like being able to look into people's eyes when I sing. And I know that sounds maybe strange because some people don't like that, but I love it when I can, especially if I'm delivering something that's really intimate, to be able to look directly into them and like say this to that person. And I definitely miss that, or at least feeling like I can do that. So Right. Yeah, I feel like that's got to be part of the characters that you um, take over when you sing and the emotions of each piece that you bring forth. It, it it's all about that connection. And I feel like that's like, like we were saying earlier, like you were saying, that's the biggest thing right now when it comes to grief is grieving the, the type of connection that we had before everything went into quarantine and we got all scared, you know? So, wow. I wonder how is has been um, in, when it comes to teaching and uh, teaching voice. And I, I've been wondering about that. I wonder if you can tell us how that's going. Yeah, it's so I think we're going to in our fourth week. We started early because uh, we're going to finish early because we want to have that break time where people might get the flu and all these things. So we're trying to be really safe. And so every aspect of teaching is how to make this safe for the students. So for us, it's being in a totally different room for the students. Actually, our school put out a really funny video about how they're, everybody's wiping down the piano and like all these things that they have to do. Um, I think obviously there's a difficulty with me not being at the piano in the room. And so like there's a delay and that's really hard because usually I actually really enjoy playing and accompanying for my students if I can, the best of my ability. And that's almost impossible. So either they have to have a track that they're listening to, or even with when I'm warming them up, it's, can you hear me? You know, it's a lot of elevated conversation and, and, and really making sure that they can see and hear you. Um, even, even small things like small, but big things of, um, having different devices up and then having to have your blue light glasses to make sure that you don't get a headache from being on zoom for hours a day, um, And then for the students, they're looking at often virtual music um, or we're dropping things into their Google folder so that everything is touchless so that they can pull that up. Um, And 
It's so it requires extra organization. And then, you know, I've never met them. So it's very weird to try to establish a relationship with someone when you've never met them in person. And I mean, you can do it, but it just takes a little bit more work. Uh, And I always tell them, like, I promise that I'm real. (laughs) I'm a real human being. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's fine. You can still get it done. But um, another thing to keep in mind is the what we're talking about as opera singers when we're training a singer is that we're using our whole body to make the sound and so when we're talking about how the breath is moved and the sinuses and where we feel resonance trying to explain it over zoom takes a little bit extra work but also the way that the sound is produced and how we're hearing it back to us isn't the same as the quality that it would be in the room because the voice is built for such a different thing. And that's the same thing that we're running into with recording because most of the time opera singers or people with that kind of developed voice don't have the equipment to encapsulate the sound in the room the way that it should be because we're giving you all these extra, you know, frequencies that you're you're feeling the frequency in a different way than you would on something that would be like condensed so the same thing with teaching you think that you're hearing everything properly and certain voices are going to resonate more over zoom and certain voices you know you can you can hear when something is airy but at the same time you're really like I'm I have to stare at them so much to just make sure that their air and plus sometimes you're like as I am right now like seeing half of them or whatever so it's okay buddy you have to back up a little bit and it's <laughs> you have to be really creative so I always think of teaching a voice lesson as being a surgery anyway and it's like constant I mean you're so focused on that person and really making sure that every moment is correct or that their breathing is correct their diction is correct um that they're technique or their, excuse me, my allergies today, um, that your um, interpretation, you know, you're going through so many things. And so you can be exhausted after, you know, 50 minutes of that. And then you've got like four more right after that or whatever. So, and I think that you do have even more fatigue. I thought the first week of school, okay, it's the first week of school. It's fatiguing. The Zoom fatigue doesn't seem to go away. (laughs) So, and there's a grief behind not being able to do this in the quote unquote normal way as well, because you want to, you know, okay, just listen and let the piano, like, let me just give you all these things. And then I have to sit there and say, sorry, I can only play this much and give you that. And then you got to go. Or I have to, I've tried to play like a measure, not a measure head, like a beat ahead. And that, that is crazy for your brain as well. So, mm-hmm. so that they get it in time. That's so much. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's so much to pay attention to, and I feel like it's it's like you're you're not only um, dealing with the mental fatigue, you know, of the lesson and of doing all those things and and trying to make the best out of the situation, but then you also are bringing into it the lack of energy just because of grief of what we're all going through. So it's like grief upon grief upon grief. And then your energy is like totally drained. Yeah, it's layered. And like not being at school is really sad too. 
Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so I think, I think I miss my colleagues. So like, yes, the benefit is you can walk out of the shower and into your living room or wherever you teach from and like make your own coffee, which is kind of fun. Uh, but you're in your, and then you're in that space all day. And then, you know what the new challenge is, then you need to, and I think anyone that works from home is like, how do I make the space that I now work in? How can I like turn that off and then make sure that I'm like comfortable being in my space that I now reside in instead of feeling the workspace energy? Yeah. I wanted to know if there are any changes you've made or if you have identified some things that feel good to you um, and that have allowed you to honor your grief? I think I've always been hyper aware of my grief because we've had a lot of grief since I was little. So I'm not afraid of it. I'm never afraid to be sad or to sit in my emotions and feel grief. I think it's one of the things that I've connected to the most in my life. And the characters that I play are very deep most of the time and have a lot of grief and, and resilience. And I actually was thinking about that. I was like, oh, I should tell them the different characters when we get to that. And, um, but um, I have also learned to be very proud of myself through my like and, and identifying that through therapy and going to therapy and things like that because I've realized like how many changes that I've made and like conquered as I said I just finished filming um a one-woman opera and then a bunch of um cabaret art songs and learning that while doing on top of teaching and it was all new contemporary music extremely difficult I call it like calculus music and interpretation and so many words and all that and producing it and and all of these all of these things and so there's there was a grief in I don't want to have to do this um this is how I keep my art going I don't want to have to learn all of these things but I know that I can learn all those things and I have a there's something in me since I was a little kid that was like, oh, that's hard. Good. I'll do that. And I don't know why I never tell myself no, but it's like I have this extreme desire to want to conquer it and get an A plus at doing it. It never freaks me out. It might freak me out when I'm not getting it because I really like to get it, but I'm very tenacious and will go after it until I have figured it out. And like last week, once I finished it, I'm like, now I'm not afraid to sing anything. And every time I do something that's more difficult, it lessens the fear. And then I'm like, great, what else do I <laughs> what? But hang on, let me just take five days off. Um, but now I think I'm like, oh, that piece was written for soprano. And I, I literally sang like two and a half octaves. And then I sang like a really low mezzo piece. And so range wise, now I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of learning a lot of music. I'm not afraid of learning extremely hard music, which I have made a lot of my mus musical career in contemporary classical music, which is difficult. And I'm not afraid of making something on my own anymore. I always like to make things on my own, but it's so, so if I can do that with the grief of a pandemic, then when we don't have all of these restrictions, what's literally impossible for me? I don't know. I don't think that there's going to be, I don't think I'm going to feel bondage. There's no restraint because you've conquered it. So that's kind of a great feeling in a way because you're like, oh, so I don't think if in, 
if I didn't have the pandemic, perhaps I wouldn't have pushed myself. I certainly would have found something to push myself. But I don't know that I would have pushed myself to this degree. And because I feel that art is so worth it and so important, I couldn't sit on my butt all day and say like, oh, I'm so sad. I'm not going to. No, because art deserves to be told and deserves to be out there. And I feel I have a calling, if that's what you want to call it, to to make it and bring it forth. Um, so I follow that because it's like, it's outside of me in that's a way. So cool. I feel too, like when you were talking, it sounds like, all of your resilience has come from within you. Like, how strong is that? And then the piece which you just said, like, the art is outside of you. But I feel like the resilience, the strength, the tenacity is is within you. That's, That's so cool. And what a beautiful thing it is that you found um, that perspective, too. You said, you know, this can only get better. And and if anything, I'm learning things that I wouldn't probably learn if this didn't happen. And and I'm just going to take all of this that I'm learning and moving forward. And it's just going to equip me better and... Who knows where this is going to take me. And that, that I just think it's it's beautiful and very resilient, you know, very resilient of you. Thank you. I mean, I think if you talk to me, I know I've done, I did an interview like in March, early March and April. And there were parts of this where it was like, okay, I feel very, very, very low, very kicked down because I can't do it and but in, internally but but I'll figure out a way to do it didn't have a job didn't have anything to say like this is how you will sing again just knowing I'm going to and then went through difficulties within discovering how to learn these new processes and then you learn and then you're okay I've got that so on to the next thing I think we all tried to learn how to live stream or we all tried to learn how to amplify oneself and make um all these different online things and so then you move through that and then you well what do I want to do um I've kept up my strength training like I enjoy doing like really difficult workouts and that I think has helped me because it's like well if my body is strong my mind is strong and I can achieve that also it's healthy for you to stay healthy during this kind of time and then um then more projects were presented to me and then you learn those new challenges and then school started and so then you're thinking oh okay um but at least I'm giving back to music and so it kind of overarching got to a point where it's now I can see that but you can't see it in that moment and I definitely had um I think it's called um situational depression from that and now I don't feel that which is really nice because I'm focused and busy and now I'm now that I've come off of last week where I felt literally squeezed out by the end of that project and I know I know when I'm squeezed out because I don't react well 
<laughs> I'm tired. I'm cranky. I, uh, you could say one thing to me and I'll like totally take it like something else. And I had that moment with some of my friends. I'm so sorry. I was just really stressed. I didn't know. And, um, but they know me very well to know that. Yes. You know, when I'm working, I sacrifice everything. I have sacrificed so much for my career and they, and, um, so there's a part of you that has to acknowledge that, you know, you're not always going to react as happily as you'd like. And now that I'm coming off of that, I have been able to sit back with that kind of perspective and see. And the thing I've been thinking about historically and what I found with Hildegard and I was thinking yesterday and that I've been reading two books as of this morning on, on her life. And it speaks about her resilience. And she was growing up at a time in history where they had the plagues, the first crusades, and in in, in, you know, in a way, the pandemic of the of these plagues, and in this age of darkness, and was a woman who actually came from a wonderful family, but was given as a gift. She was the tenth child to um, to the church, if you'd like to think of it that way, and so then she became a nun. And she had such an interesting life and she pushed so many awesome, like, it's like she was able to secure a space for the nuns and secure a funding for her own convent and secure all these amazing things. And she was a mystic and an artist and a, a, a scholar, although she didn't think of herself as one. And the idea is that she endured a much difficulty in her life and lived to be 80, which in, I forget exactly when she passed away, but it was like 11 something. Uh, that's extremely old in that time period. And it shows you that throughout history, humanity has an ability to like understand that they have extreme social and political unrest and still make forward advancements and that they've moved on and that they've been okay. And I think that that gave me a lot of hope and resilience for today that in these moments, it seems like every day you turn on the news locally or nationally and you see like, oh God, what's this next thing that's happening? And you feel like there isn't a way out and you can sit with that heaviness. And I think sometimes I really do. And then I read these stories of these people and I'm like, mm, there's, we've definitely still had humanity for hundreds of years after that. And we've definitely seen people that have created beautiful things and have had these insights and they have become resilient or they've made something for us as she did um, in so many different ways. So we're probably going to be okay. <laughs> like That's how I came up. And so I've been sitting with that. Doesn't matter how dark it gets, there's still hope at the end of that tunnel or a cave. It's almost like I was thinking too, I had this like image in my mind of, Sometimes you retreat into your grief and you go into a cave and you close the door. But there's a crack of light that comes out and you walk towards that and you might push it. But you also have a support mechanism. So maybe somebody's also on the other side of that kind of pushing, helping you open that door. And I think I've become, I'm resilient because it's within me, but I also have a great support system. And so that light comes forward and you're able to walk out and resiliency is about being stronger and bouncing back again with a, and it always says at least the same amount. Cause I've been, of course, you know, I'm a wordsmith and like super dork. So I had to research more about what is, what is this really? And, um, 
And I found that that's what it's saying. You come back at least stronger and probably stronger. And I think that that's definitely going to be my story. And I think for many people that we are going to have much more strength, much more knowledge. And we have in a sense of awakening into what can be. Um, And also, interestingly enough, for all the singers that are listening, I looked up this and I thought it was so interesting. So, um, resilience is also so it's of of course I was like well there's French in it and then of course there's Latin right so it's to rebound or to to regain strength which also talks about like recoiling and your lungs so I'm going to show you (laughs) your lungs recoil in take in a breath and we want to keep it out as singers and expand it as long as possible then the natural process is for them to recoil in and then we fill it up so our sense of being we are built to be resilient we are built to recoil and there's an elasticity that makes our sound. So singers and people, we have this in us. And there is, I was looking at some Harvard and um, a few other different articles that I sent to Kim because I was very on a bunny trail. And it said that there are genetic theories of resilience, which I do think is true in our family. Um, and then Jung and a few other different people were just quoting it. And then when I was reading Hildegard today, that Jungian theory also came back and was talking about that for Hildegard. And yesterday, funny story, I went to Sephora and they had resilience on their shirts, like in the store. And I felt like I was just getting signs. Yeah. (laughs) Like I'm here for like luminous primer and I'm getting like, it said like resilience hope and faith or something like that on their shirts like all of the people in the store that were working and I was like okay I'm getting this sign so yeah I thought that was pretty cool um so I think I think that we're we're gonna survive that's what I'm trying to say but but for the better and in history, when we look back at history, it tells us that in many different ways but just for a person to think I'm built to bounce back and you do have to make a choice and some people might have more um, conscious awareness of that or more fighting spirit but if you do think about it your body's meant to do that so it's possible for everybody thank you for uh, gifting us with all that knowledge and words very encouraging very encouraging it's so cool and I love how everything came full circle (laughs) talking about your inner self and the research and being a voice professor and it's almost like you you just gave us a lesson on not only our voice and our lungs but on this topic of resilience and moving through grief and what that can look like and feel like. Yeah, it's always something I've been drawn to. Like I was saying in the characters that I've played, uh, they're often noble women um, like Dido from Dido and Aeneas or actually the, the last opera that I did before Carmen, although Carmen in herself is, a, is very resilient. Um, Candide, her name is like the old lady. And, and the old lady is speaking to the young Kunigunda and throughout the opera, and she's sort of like her teacher mentor. And much, through, much like many of the characters in Candide, it is about going on this journey to self and asking a lot of questions, and there's all this philosophy within it. And um, 
she's they're they're like we the one of the really fun duets is called we are women and they're talking about like how they're gonna survive this this difficult time that they're in and it's tongue-in-cheek a little bit a little bit silly and sassy but but they're talking about this is these are the things that are built within us and this is how we survive situations and they're all survival stories and then they make it to this new world and then they sing what most people are going to be familiar with is this gorgeous choral piece called Make Our Garden Grow that they talk about through all of the things that they've endured now we plant our seeds and we continue and it's one of the most stunning pieces of music that you'll ever hear and I think that is our I it's not by accident that we're made to sing these different roles or the nuns that I've sung. I've been many nuns in music, many in opera. And it's always fascinating to me because I've always been drawn to the characters that have to fight through something or that experience a high level of um, anxiety and then have to go through something and that's why we care about characters right when you're watching a show like you want to see that person overcome something we always call it rooting for that character when we're talking about characterization we want we want to empathize and find ourselves within that because when you're watching it that's why you like certain shows that's why when you're watching New Girl or Schitt's Creek or Gilmore Girls as we discussed privately you want that person to go through there you want to see them come to the other side you're like oh that's not the boy for you it's this one but they had to go through that boyfriend because they they needed to learn something and then they come out of that situation or they had to you know lose that job and gain um a little bit of what who am i anyway before they find their um ultimate path that they walk on so we all have to go through this and one of the things in the pandemic that i think that we can say is we keep saying that we're in this together. We're like in it to win it against the spread. But we're also in it together as like, yeah, our whole industry stopped. Our whole world stopped. Our whole, the way that we've done things has stopped. And it's made us look at it and say like, um, this probably wasn't great. A couple of these areas. (laughs) Let's can we can we redefine can we restructure can we paint the, a different picture here and and so that comes through some grumblings and that comes through some some things being on fire or some foundations being ripped out which doesn't feel good and then there's a surgery but in the end there's going to be a lot of healing and there's going to be a new structure and um, even the earth, I think, is going to, we're seeing like, you know, maybe we're not emitting so many things into the atmosphere because we didn't drive our cars or, you know, there's so many different things because we're staying home, because we're thinking about caring for each other. Um, and if we keep reminding ourselves of that and we keep focusing on new creation and new existence and new life in, in a different way that we're bringing it out, um, then we're going to have that hope. That's great. Well, we want to ask you one more question. So what are you taking with you from this season of resilience into the next? Well, I would say at this seventh month mark, I am taking now because I have seen, I've seen what I can do. I am taking, I can do it. No fear because I operated in fear before a lot in my life. And now 
I've proven to myself what I can do in the most difficult of circumstances. So now the rest is, and listening to my own inner wisdom more and more, which I've learned a lot through therapy, something I've always done, but I had to say that it's okay to do because maybe different organizations in context have said, no, that's not good. And so now it is, so listening to that own voice and trusting yourself and saying, you can do this and going forward with that vision. What is it that you want to do? Knowing that you can do it, knowing that with your creativity and the the things that you have built up in your strength, what do I want to now make? How do I want to live my life? What do I want to change? Where where can I use my hands to better for others in this? Thank you so much, Jess. This has been so fun. Um, so where where can people find you and connect with you? Um, you can find me on my website at www.jessicaandbest.com and on Facebook of uh, Jessica and Best. I think it's like Facebook musician page and oh, on Instagram at Jess Best Sings, which you can thank Gregory Michael Best for um, coming up with all of these. I love names. it. <laughs> he was like, this is what your name should be. Thank you. So. <laughs> We took that advice. He's pretty smart. We like him. Pretty smart. Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, we want to thank you for being here with us. And it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and meet you. And um, I want to say to all of you that are listening, thank you for listening. And we look forward to having you in our next Resilient Conversation. Thank you both. I appreciate it.